What's going on, guys? We're back with the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, and I'm here with Paul Saladino. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Um, before we get started, I wanted to just kind of get a little bit of your history and a little bit of your credentials, because I know you're a doctor, so I just want to kind of explain to everybody who you are, because I think my demographic might not know. I'm a medical doctor. I went to medical school at the University of Arizona. I did residency at the University of Washington. I'm board certified as a physician nutrition specialist, but really when people ask me this question on podcasts, I just tell them that I'm a surfer and uh, an adventurer who went to medical school twice accidentally. And I have a lot of interest in human health and nutrition, primarily because I want to be able to have more fun in my life. I want to feel better. I want to think more clearly. I want to be stronger. I want to be faster. I want to have a libido for my whole life. I don't want to have chronic disease. I just want to keep doing fun stuff my whole life. And so I am fascinated by the foods that humans should or should not eat to do that and kind of framing that within conversations of what is or is not a species appropriate or evolutionarily consistent diet for humans. Okay. So to in a nutshell, the reason I, the reason I wanted to, wanted to have you on the show is because you're known as the carnivore MD, which means you're now, did you come up with the carnivore diet or you just, it's kind of like you're, you specialize in it. I don't, I think our ancestors came up with the carnivore diet, man. <laughs> like, but is there, but I mean, is there somebody that brought it to the forefront or was that you that did that? I think that I'm, I think that I could claim a good amount of responsibility for popularizing the carnivore diet and speaking about it at a scientific level. Yes. Okay. So to my understanding, and I think most people's understanding, the carnivore diet is basically just somebody who eats just meat and nothing else. Is that, uh, that's probably a really simplistic way to talk about it, but is there, is there more to it that you can tell me? There's a lot more to it than that. That's, that's absolutely the simplest way to think about it. Eat meat. The next level is how did your ancestors eat meat? And they didn't just eat the muscle meat, they ate the organs too. So within bodybuilding communities, you guys have known this forever. You know, Vince Gironda was eating liver 20 years ago and 30 years ago or 40. I don't even know when he was not a bodybuilder, obviously, but you know, like bodybuilders have understood nutrition and the way it affects human health and performance for decades. And bodybuilders are often decades ahead of Western medicine. So this is no, this is no, you know, uh, this is no exclusion of that rule. This is no exception to that rule. In this case, organs are a key part of any animal-based diet. But to give you the more nuanced summary of what I think of as a carnivore diet, you might think of it more broadly as an animal-based diet. Okay. Your audience might be cool with just eating meat all day, every day. Well, <laughs> but the, ma- the majority maybe. of people want to have a little more variety in their diet. And I think it's good to have a little more variety in your diet. So there are three key, there are three key tenets that I try to communicate to people. The first tenant is that animal meat and organs are the centerpiece of the human diet and always have been for the last two to four million years of human evolution. They really made us human. The unique nutrients contained in meat and organs are what sparked the development of the human brain. And so they are integral to human optimal health, human performance. There's no exception to that, period. And they've been incorrectly vilified, incorrectly criminalized for the last 70 years by bad science, predominantly epidemiology, which is observational rather than interventional data. So animal meat and organs, critical part of the human diet if if we want to perform well as a human. Second piece of the equation, plants contain toxins. Not really debatable. Not okay. debatable. Okay. 
plants exist on a toxicity spectrum. And if we want to be ideal, if we want to perform as well as possible as humans, we should understand which plants are more and less toxic and how those plants affect us individually. There's individual sensitivities to certain plants, but plants are not uniquely benign. If you listen to the mainstream culture today, they'll tell you that kale and broccoli are the best things ever. And that's completely false, totally wrong, and evolutionarily inconsistent. Okay. And so you got to understand that plants have toxins and exist on a toxicity spectrum. Some people choose to eliminate all plants, like I have for the majority of the last two years, but not everybody has to. The third piece is probably going to be much more familiar to people. And this is simply that processed foods consisting of seed oils and processed sugars are the major, the major culprits to blame for the significant rapid precipitous decline in human health over the last 100 years. Okay. And these are things like corn, canola, safflower, sunflower, soybean, peanut, grapeseed oil, all the omega-6 rich oils, massively bad for human biology. We can talk about why. Sure. And I don't think anybody believes that processed sugar is good for humans. The primary problem there is just simply that processed sugar makes it really easy, easy to overeat. Yeah. And when humans have excess calories, if they're not using them, bad things happen in the human body. So those are the three things that I try to communicate to people. It's a little more nuanced, a little more of a richly painted picture of my perspective of human health and disease around an animal-based diet. It includes a nose-to-tail carnivore diet, but it also includes something like a carnivore-ish type diet, yeah. which includes the least toxic plant foods. So there is a, there's, there is a carnivore-ish. Like if somebody's doing a little bit of vegetable or a little bit of carb, they can still... Can they still say I'm on a carnivore diet? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so it's not like a hard and fast rule, like being a vegan where it's like all meat is bad, exit out, that's it. So carnivore diet's not that cut and dry. Not the way that I think about it. Yeah. I don't like to be okay. dogmatic. I think that when I describe my diet to people, and then we can talk about what I eat in a day. When I describe my diet to people and I tell them, you know, I eat meat and organs and fat and bone broth they kind of go, well, man, I don't know if I could do that every day. And then I tell them that every once in a while, I'll eat berries yeah. or avocado or butternut squash or, sure. um, or honey. And, they, and then their eyes kind of light up and they think, oh, I could do that. I could yeah. do that. So yeah. within the realm of a carnivore diet, I like to expand it to think about like an animal-based diet. The majority of your diet is meat and organs, the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. Yeah. And then you can fill in with a few of the least toxic plant foods. Now, you said, including some vegetables, we might traditionally think of avocado and squash as vegetables, but they're not, they're fruit. Okay. And we can talk about those distinctions and why it matters for the plant spectrum of toxicity. But there's a lot of room within animal-based diets for people to tailor it to their own needs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be low carb. It can be moderate carb. Um, you know, people can use it to, to build muscle by including carbohydrates if they want to have carbohydrates. The key tenants are, like I said, plants are on a toxicity spectrum, eliminate the most toxic ones. You'll do fine. You'll do better. Meat and organs, best foods on the planet. Do not eat processed sugar or seed oils and you will kick ass. Okay. So I'm even more confused now because you said I could have carbs too. So I'm like, okay, so now, so now I'm like, okay, we need to kind of break this down a little bit. So first thing I want to do is get into the animal base part that you're talking about. So obviously as bodybuilders, we eat a lot of steak and chicken breast and a lot of fish and a lot of that kind of stuff. But I don't know a lot of bodybuilders that eat organs. Now I know, I, we know that, you know, eating liver is good for you and has tons of amino acids and all these things. But um, as far as the bodybuilders, I know many of us don't get into the organs probably just for, you know, as a taste or, you know, it's not really something that we want to eat. 
Um, what are some animal organs that you would eat on a regular basis that we could find regularly at a grocery store or anything like that? Great question. So the main organ to start with is liver and a couple ounces of liver, one to two, even three ounces of liver per day is a good idea. But you know, the quality of this matters. You don't want to eat the liver from a cow that's fed in a feedlot. You want to get a grass fed, grass finished, preferably organic cow's liver. And then I go further than liver. I'll eat heart and then I'll go really adventurous and eat spleen or kidney or thymus or pancreas. I ate I ate testicle today because I killed a deer over the weekend. We'll talk about hunting. We'll talk about hunting later. But can I, before you go on, sorry to interrupt. Is it gross? It's delicious. I think it's good. Testicle is kind of like not uh, not, not just testicles. (laughs) All the organs. Like when I'm telling you, man, you want to eat balls. It's really good. They're hard to get, but you want to eat them. I don't eat raw testicle. Raw testicle is like uh, it's like uh, scallop, like a raw scallop. You don't even cook it. You just fucking eat. I just eat them all raw. Yeah. Sometimes I'll blanch a little bit, but it's not gross. It's an acquired taste. You go back five or six generations, your ancestors savored it, indigenous cultures savored it. But I hear you, and I know your listeners are going, fuck that, I'm never going to eat these things, which is why I built a business, right? So the business is Heart and Soil, and the website is heartandsoil.co. We make desiccated organ supplements. This is the kind of stuff that Vince Gironda was doing. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so we take the organs from grass-fed, grass-finished cows in New Zealand, we freeze-dry them, and we put them into capsules. You can see them here behind me if people are watching, but they're capsules. And we make, we make a beef organs, which has heart, liver, kidney, spleen, and pancreas. We make bone marrow and liver. We make one called lifeblood, which is actually blood plus spleen and liver. Any of those would be fantastic and would okay. really help fill in a lot of nutritional gaps for people that don't want to eat the fresh organs. If you can get the fresh organs, do that. But I understand that 75% of people listening to this are not going to eat fresh organs. 25% of people might, and I love fresh organs. But desiccated organs are awesome, even for me, if I'm traveling or I can't get these organs. There's just a lot of unique things in, in, in organ meats that we're never going to get. And I love anthropology. I love looking at the way the Hadza or the Ikung or the San or the, the Samburu or these, these, you know, these indigenous cultures currently living, have always mm-hmm. lived, and looking at the way that other animals in the wild who eat other animals eat. And they always go for the organs first, right? They'll yeah, eat the yeah. kidney and the liver. And if you, you know, I was recently on Rogan and we talked about getting to eat the liver within a wolf pack is a sign that you're an alpha. That's, yeah. that's the most prized part of the animal. There's tons of muscle meat. Yeah. But there's only one liver and it's a lot smaller and the nutrients in that are unique. And you kind of touched on some of them. Mm-hmm. There are unique amino acids, anserine, taurine, carnitine, carnosine, but there's also things like riboflavin, you know, methylated folate, there's zinc, there's copper, selenium, there's unique peptides in these organs, which are signaling molecules. So okay. organs are crucial. And if you can't get them fresh, get them desiccated, Check us out, hardened soil, something like that. So question, how, and this question comes up in terms of protein as well, because people are always asking, what's the difference if I eat a steak or if I drink a whey isolate shake, right? And some people say there's no difference and some people say there is a difference because of the way your body absorbs and, and digests the, the actual food. Now, is there a dramatic difference in how my body is going to use your supplements versus the actual organ itself? Like if I get a kidney or a liver, Am I going to get more benefit from it or is it going to be the same? It's essentially the same because we're freeze drying it. It's the real thing, right? So if you're looking at a whey protein isolate or even a beef protein isolate, the key word there is isolate, Yeah. right? They're, They're cooking it at high temperatures. They're dehydrating it. We take the organs, we put them at 38 degrees Fahrenheit or 36. You lower the pressure 
and you dehydrate them basically in your refrigerator, right? Okay. So, we are, so we're dehydrating them at low temperatures to preserve as many of the nutrients as possible. Sure. And your point is well taken. Some people will say, is there a difference between a beef protein isolate shake and a steak or yeah. whey protein isolate and a shake? And there, there is a difference in my opinion, because when you're eating a steak, you're getting zinc and selenium, yeah, right? Yeah, and CoQ10 yeah. and heme iron and riboflavin and a little bit of folate. And you're mm. getting all these nutrients that your body needs because it's a beef protein isolate shake have coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme yeah. Q10 is a part of the electron transport chain and every mitochondria in your body. Whole food is always better. I don't think this is really debatable. And I think yeah. most people will understand this intuitively. And that's why I always say to people, look, if you're a bodybuilder and you are trying to get a massive amount of protein, sure, use the highest quality protein shake that you can, but mm. eat as much real food as you can too. Yeah. For most yeah. of us who are not trying to get more than 200 grams of protein a day, we can eat, I mean, I eat two pounds of meat a day. I don't need a protein shake, you know, but yeah. if you're working with guys who are trying to really push and they see benefit from three to 400 milligrams of protein a day, sure, it's going to be hard to eat four pounds of meat and get everything else in you need for your calories. In that case, sure. you might have to you might have to, to cut some corners, but make sure you get as much real food as you can. But in answer to your question, yeah, our supplements are real food. They're just real food made into desiccated organs. So it's about as good as it gets without eating the real thing. Yeah, that advice you gave is, is, exactly, um, is exactly what we preach on, like I preach on my show all the time is to get as much whole food as possible. But the, question, the next question that arose is, um, how much, because you were saying I need two to three ounces of liver a day is a good amount. So yeah, how, how much of those one to three? Yeah. So how much is that going to mean in terms of capsules, like in your supplements? And this isn't, so for those of you guys who are listening, I didn't even know he had a supplement company. So this is not, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like a ad for, I just didn't know. So I'm trying to kind of figure out, cause I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to go get liver. I've had liver before. I don't like the flavor. Um, and if you're telling me this is going to be the exact same nutrient profile, pretty good, then I would rather do that. So how much do I have to take every day to get my needs? So because it's real food, it's going, to be, it's going to be a significant amount of capsules. I would say you'd probably want to get, if you really want to be ideal, you'd want to take anywhere from 12 to 18 capsules a day, depending on the Jeez. supplement you suggest. Yeah. So, yeah. But you, you, you figure if you're taking real food, there's only so much that I can desiccate it. You know, there's only yeah, so yeah, much yeah. that I can condense a liver for you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 12 to 18 capsules is actually not as hard as you think. They're in gelatin. I can do 12 capsules in one handful. I'm I can not, do 18 capsules all at once. I'm not saying I can't eat them. I'm saying that's an expensive bill because they're probably like, what, 90 capsules in a bottle? There's 180 capsules in a bottle. Yeah, so. I'm going to burn through that in like three weeks. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, but it's, it's kind it's of a, the, the balance of like the whole food nutrition, right? So this is yeah. the convenient way to do it. I, honestly, I'll tell you this. I think most people are going to feel benefit with six capsules a day of anything that we have. I was just capsules a day is going to be about a little less than an ounce of organs combined. We don't have a capsule that's pure liver. We have like beef organs is heart, liver, kidney, spleen, and pancreas. Okay. So six capsules of that is a little less than an ounce total of all those. Mm -hmm. But when you're eating all those organs together, I think most people will feel a benefit with even an ounce of organs, an yeah. ounce of total organs. You know, you're saying what's ideal. I'm saying, yeah, two to three ounces of organs per day, which is going to be 12 to 18 capsules is ideal. And we've got a lot of people that take, you know, some of our lifeblood and some of our histamine and immune and some beef organs. So they are taking 18, they're taking six of each. And again, this isn't meant to be a, a, a commercial and, or anything. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's something that'll help people if you can't get the fresh organs mm -hmm. and it, it's meaningful to do that work. How do you, 
Do you have any videos on YouTube about how you cook the organs? Well, I mean, because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even I know where to start. Organs raw, man. So, <laughs> oh, so on my website, which is heartandsoil.co, there's an about us page and there's a video yeah. of what I eat in a day, and you can see me eating all the organs raw. So you're eating raw liver and everything. Raw liver. I was at a I was at a party yesterday and I brought raw heart and we were just all eating raw heart. It's actually really good. It was from a deer that I shot yesterday. Yeah. And I'm not doing it to be sensational or anything like yeah, that. I get I just, it. I, you can, I mean, I'll go through them for you. So if you want to cook liver, you just put it in a pan with some tallow and fry it on both sides. You cook it just like a steak. You just want to overcook the liver. You want it to be pink in the middle. Yeah. Heart's the same way. You can put it in a pan with some tallow and fry it on both sides. It'll be great. What is, what is tallow? Tallow is, is rendered beef fat. So we actually make okay. a supplement called Firestarter, which is tallow in pills because rendered beef fat from the kidneys, the suet, yeah. Yeah. is uniquely valuable for humans. It has something in it called stearic acid, which has a really cool effect on the human mitochondria. I've talked about this multiple times. And so stearic acid is really a cool uh, 18 carbon saturated fatty acid. It's found in, in highest amounts in the kidney fat, which is the suet. It's kind of waxy fat. So okay. we encapsulate that, or you can just get fresh. What, suet. Is the ben- what is the benefit of that? So when you actually look at these experiments in humans, it's a fascinating trial. They took people and they put them on a vegan diet for two days and they saw the stearic acid levels go down, and they saw changes in the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are these electron transport chain housed powerhouses of the cells. So at a cellular level in humans, when humans are deprived of stearic acid, the mitochondria fractionate, they, they, they separate, and they turn off beta oxidation. They stop burning fat. Okay. We give these people stearic acid back. This is an animal-based fat. It's not found in plant foods, yep. except there's a few exceptions that are very rare. And the mitochondria fuse, they turn on. You can see the mitochondria actually fusing and you can see acyl carnitines go down. Acyl carnitines are an indication of beta oxidation. So basically what's happening is when the mitochondria have this fat, stearic acid, they turn on and they start burning fat. Okay. So it's, it's really interesting. And what's so cool is that you can see it go both ways. When you deprive someone of stearic acid, their mitochondria fractionate, they kind of, they're, 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 they're separated, and then you give them stearic acid, the mitochondria fuse, and they turn on. At least they turn okay. on with fat, fatty acid, so, beta oxidation. Where, so how do, is the fat in the kidney, the fat that's around the kidney, is that the only place to get the stearic acid, or where no, can it's, I? No, it's in, it's, in, it's in all animal fat, so it's yeah. in a cow's fat, yeah. but it's highest in the, in the suet, which is the, okay. the fat around the kidneys. Okay. That's what we use to make the fire starter or people use generally to make tallow, but not always. Okay. So any fat from a ruminant animal is going to have stearic acid, but it's like 25 to 30% in the, the waxy fat around the kidneys. Sure. And people will know this. If they've eaten a fatty steak, that fat feels different in your mouth than suet. If you eat suet, it's very waxy because it's got so much stearic acid. In it. It's just kind of a waxy mouthfeel. Okay. That's why you can make tallow out of it or encapsulate it or something's better. Okay. So it's a high stearic acid. But eating animals and animal fat, the very foods that have been vilified for the last 70 years by the mm-hmm. mainstream medical establishment, is, will get you a good amount of stearic acid. Okay. But, you know, that's we're, the main thing. We got onto that because you were telling me about how to cook them. But I have actually more important question than how to cook them is, can I buy them at the gro- like a regular grocery store? Can I go to the grocery store and get kidney? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that, that ruins that plan. So how do I, so where you get, if you're not a hunter, where are you getting these raw organs from? Yeah. So sometimes I cook them, but often I'll eat a lot of them raw. You know, there's farms throughout the country. There's a farm in Georgia called White Oak Pastures. There's a farm in California called Belcampo. I just look for um, the farms that are doing grass fed, grass finishing, right? 
regenerative agriculture, which means rotational grazing of the animals, which is an ecosystems-based way of raising the animals that kind of mimics the way that mimics the way that these animals have lived on the plains of the United States for yeah. millions of years. Yeah. So that's what you can get them online now. And they're, they're in higher and higher demand. I was actually on the phone with the people at White Oak Pastures today and they said, we can't keep liver in stock since you ate it with Joe Rogan on the podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I go on Rogan and eat raw liver with Rogan and they can't even keep the liver yeah. in stock, but there's places yeah. to get liver online. Yeah. Yeah. And so liver would probably be the one that people could get, but unless you're going to a whole foods, I don't know what city you live in. If you go to whole foods, yeah. you might be able to get grass fed liver sometimes beyond okay. that. You're not going to find any other organs and you're either going to have to know a butcher or buy a whole cow or go to one of these farms online. And so the okay. bittersweet truth of the work I do is that the more successful I am in helping people understand this, the harder it is for all of us to get organs, sure. which is, yeah. which is um, why also why we make the desiccated organs. Yeah, no. Um, the the other question, while we're still, I want to stay on the animal tenant for a minute because um, I want to ask you about all the negative studies that come with eating so much animal meat. We constantly hear like, if you eat too much protein, it affects your kidneys. If you eat too much fat, it's going to raise your cholesterol and be bad for your heart and cause heart disease and all these different things. Now, I know the kidney one has been proven wrong. So I know that protein doesn't affect kidneys and healthy kidneys anyway. Do you know if it affects your kidneys in compromised kidneys? Yeah. So in, if you have chronic kidney disease, you have to watch your kidney function really carefully, mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right. There's zero evidence in the medical literature that eating a high quote protein diet is going to be hard for your kidneys. In fact, there's a lot of good evidence in the medical literature that a quote high protein diet is good for bone health and is associated with higher bone density and sometimes improvement in kidney function. Now, if someone has pre-existing chronic kidney disease, that is a decreased glomerular filtration rate or you know, an elevated creatinine, and you wanna increase your protein, you gotta watch it and see what happens and you gotta be careful. Yeah. But in healthy kidneys, no problem. It's just that if your kidneys are already damaged, you may not be able to process that much protein, but it's not gonna cause your kidneys to be harmed. Okay. But your, your question is really good. And this is a really important topic that we should dig into. Now, what's so interesting here is that you illustrated this perfectly. You said we hear that red meat causes heart disease mm -hmm. or that red meat is going to raise your cholesterol and cause heart disease. And in fact, that's not what we hear. Okay. That's not what's being said, but that's what we hear. And the media knows this. What the media says is that red meat consumption is associated, okay. right? It's correlated with worse outcomes, but that doesn't mean it causes it. And I'll tell you why. These are epidemiology studies. They're okay. not interventional studies. What is an epidemiology study just for me and for everybody listening who doesn't know the term? These are observational studies. They're observation. There's no experiment being done. They're giving people a survey. Okay. And they're saying, how much red meat do you eat? Mm -hmm. How many times do you eat hamburgers? How many times do you eat hot dogs? How many times do you eat salami? And then they look back at their history or they look forward and they follow them for five or 10 years and see how the health outcomes go. Now, correlation is not causation. Here's a question. In some circles, this is, this is the case, but generally speaking, if you go to any McDonald's in this country or you go to any barbecue among people who are not super health conscious, when was the last time you saw someone eat a hamburger by itself with well, nothing else? Never. No almost. bun, yeah. no mayonnaise, no French fries cooked in seed oil, no brownies with high fructose corn syrup, no Coca-Cola in hand, no milkshake, no McFlurry, right? It doesn't happen. I get it, yeah. And so what I'm saying here is that this is called unhealthy user bias. And it is so insidious 
within our culture that it confounds a lot of the studies that are done within Western society. Mm -hmm. Within the United States, within Westernized cultures, for the last 70 plus years, what have we been told about red meat? That it's bad for you, yeah. that it's bad for you. Yeah. And that was based on epidemiology, not, a, not interventional, not real experiments. Mm -hmm. So who has eaten more red meat over the last 70 years? The people that also generally ride motorcycles, smoke cigarettes, are more likely to do drugs, drink alcohol, less likely to get a prostate exam or a breast exam, less likely to be in the sun, and more likely to be at a George Strait concert getting drunk with their okay. friends and you know, getting arrested. So, so is so it what? any surprise that their health outcomes are worse? Yeah. But is it the red meat? Or is it sure. everything that comes along with that sort of rebellious lifestyle? Sure. And the flip side is also true. Who eats a vegetarian diet? How many rebels do you know who eat a vegetarian diet, right? Yeah. Yeah. These are June Cleaver types, which the, your audience might not even know who June Cleaver is, yeah. but I struggle <laughs> to think. You know, if you think of the first yeah. set as like James Dean types, right? Live yeah. fast, die young. Yeah. Well, who's the other side? I don't know. Some goody two-shoe, whoever you want to say yeah. is a goody two-shoe. Like, yeah. so if you're a vegetarian, you're doing all the healthy behaviors. You're in the sun. You're playing tennis with your friends. You're golfing with your friends. You're likely to be of a higher socioeconomic status. You're less likely to smoke. You're more likely to get a prostate exam, a colonoscopy, a breast exam. And you know, you're, you're just less likely to have all those factors that are going to make things worse. So this is what compounds or this is what confounds epidemiology studies because they're observational. So they're correlation and not causation. To, so to break it down for people, I just, it basically means that they're just looking at people that eat meat, but they're not looking at anything else they're eating. So they're eating the meat and they're getting all the sugary, whatever with it. So they're saying it's caused by the meat, even though it could be caused by all the processed food they're eating at the same time. They're saying it's correlated with the meat. Yeah. But what we hear is caused. That's right. right. We hear That's the right. word cause. They're saying sure. correlated. Sure. So epidemiology, observational studies are good because they can help us generate a hypothesis, a mm -hmm. guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that should be tested with an interventional study. Sure. And wouldn't you know it, how often do we hear on the news about interventional studies done with red meat? But they're mm -hmm. out there. There yeah. are lots of studies that I talk about in my book, The Carnivore Code, that I've talked about on Rogan and my podcast, which is called Fundamental Health. Mm -hmm. that show that if you replace, so there's a fascinating study that I've quoted many times now. This is an interventional study. This is an experiment, right? That was done over 12 weeks, eight or 12 weeks. I forget the exact amount of time. They, they replaced calories in the diet that were carbohydrates. It doesn't say exactly what they were. They were carbohydrates probably from a variety of sources, bread or cereal mm -hmm. or grains. Mm -hmm. They replaced that with eight ounces. So half a pound, which is a lot yep. in today's standards yep. of, of red meat. And they look to see what happened. This is an interventional study, right? Yeah. This is not epidemiology. This is not observational. And at the end of those eight or 12 weeks, what do they find? They find inflammatory markers go down and really? markers of diabetes get better and people lose weight and their blood pressure improves. So what? if you look at interventional studies with red meat, they are good because red meat is an evolutionarily ancestrally consistent food. And there's no interventional studies with red meat that show it's bad for us. Sorry there's to, epidemiology done in the West that continuously or repeatedly correlates these two. And I want to tell you about epidemiology done in Asia to complete the before story. You, before you do that, Question. before you do that, why are, I, I just need to kind of sparse these things out. Why do we hear the opposite of all those things? We constantly hear that uh, high, meat, high protein diets or high red meat diets cause more diabetes. They cause more cholesterol. Like all the things you said that inflammation is a major one that we constantly are hearing about with red meat. So is this all because it's correlation? 
So yep. all of these things are being told to us without any real hard evidence. Yep. And they can do 100%. that. 100%. <laughs> 100%, man. Then that's okay for them to do it's, that. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it, Why it's, has, it's the media. The media The media doesn't like red meat, right? The media yeah. doesn't like red meat. Mainstream medicine doesn't like red meat. Even physicians that I trained with don't understand how to read studies and don't understand what a correlation in an epidemiology study means. Hmm. It's not an interventional study. But we're being told these things and we're being it, told, like, it's what I said. That's the first part of the, the piece of an animal-based carnivore diet, incorrectly vilified, incorrectly criminalized for the last 70 years. Why would a food or a set of foods that made us human, that were at the very center of our evolution as humans for the last two to 4 million years be bad for us? I can answer that. Makes no sense. I can, I can answer that. I have two questions, but I will answer that. Uh, most people, when I hear the argument about it, it's because they say that, Early humans didn't, weren't able to eat as much red meat or not red meat or as much animal, animal meat as we do now because it just wasn't readily available. They would hunt, they would eat. It might take time to find another animal or whatever. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard as the response to that is the amount of animal protein that we're eating now is much higher than we ate in, our, in early civilization, I guess. Yeah, I don't think there's any evidence for that. If you look at stable isotope studies of Neanderthals and early European Homo sapiens from 50,000 years ago, the stable isotopes really clearly point to the fact that we were, quote, high-level carnivores. Okay. The majority of our protein was coming from meat and okay. animal foods. Most, most anthropologists, most historical biologists would agree that humans are meat eaters, and we've eaten the majority of our food is meat for the last 2 million years. It's, Wait a it's what made us human. But the majority of protein coming from meat doesn't mean that we ate it. And I'm not arguing with you here. I'm just being, I'm playing devil's advocate, right? Just because so, I'm sure there's somebody out there listening that doesn't agree with this. So what they would say is maybe the majority of our protein came from animals, but doesn't mean that we ate them every day. Well, there's pretty good evidence that we ate a lot of animals, man. Okay. Okay. And if you look at indigenous hunter-gatherer tribes today, yeah. animal foods are clearly the most the most precious foods. Okay. In the Hadza, for instance, in Tanzania, which is a currently living group of hunter-gatherers, when there is animal food in camp, they will stop digging for tubers. They will stop even looking for the, the plant foods like that. They'll still mm -hmm. eat berries and baobab, which is a type of fruit in Africa, but they'll stop digging for tubers. So they'll stop everything else to eat the animal foods when it's available. So well, I think that these, these conjectures about the amount of animal foods we were eating they're just conjectures. Like if you look at how much protein we've been eating, it's pretty clear that we've been eating a lot of animals and they were always treasured. Mm -hmm. The other thing to consider is that today's animal landscape looks very different than it did 50,000 or even 2 million years ago. There's also stable isotope studies looking at species called Paranthropus, Australopithecus and Homo habilis from 2 million years ago, showing that the same thing is true, that, that Australopithecus appears to have eaten a mixture of plants and animals for protein. Paranthropus ate more plants and went extinct. Mm, and then okay. Homo habilis went, eat, went more animal-based and continued on to Homo erectus and then you know, Homo heidelbergensis and then eventually Homo sapiens. Yeah. So if you look at those things, that argues in favor of that as well. And what's needed for humans is protein and nutrients. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty clear. There's a lot of currently living cultures as well, the Mongols or the Inuit, that eat a ton of meat. And so uh, these, these amount arguments don't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's like either meat is bad for us or it's good for us, right? Well, but that's not, but that's not that totally true because you can, have, you can have something that's good for you, but not in that amount. Right. right? But I think these are biologically consistent amounts. I mean, you're not eating yeah. 
you're not eating 20 pounds of meat a day. You couldn't yeah. eat that much, but yeah. And then, and then, then you, if you're going to make that argument, if somebody's going to make that argument, they have to show me a mechanism by which meat is harmful to humans. Okay. And those mechanisms don't exist. Like why mm. would a food that we have eaten? So this is a really interesting, important point that the inclusion of meat, the inclusion of more meat and organs in the human diet is probably the single greatest factor in the evolution of the human brain. Okay. If you look at the size of the human brain 2 million years ago, it was 500 cc's. Today, it's between 1350 and 1500 cc's. It's tripled in size. And most people will agree that is because we started eating meat and animals. Okay. So you can make the, the amount argument, but nobody's really ever been able to show me a mechanism by which meat is harmful to humans. I, have I a, think that in, in this case, it's like, hey, most of our ancestors got the majority of their food as animal foods. I do have another question about that though. You keep saying meat and organs, and I know that's a, a very important distinction. I don't know if, if the average person says, I want to do the carnivore diet. I don't know. I don't think a large percentage of those people are going to eat the organs. I think they're just going to eat the muscle, right? So does that make a difference? Because there's well, more, but the reason, and the reason, sorry, before you answer, the reason I say that is because there's a lot more nutrients in the organs. So if somebody's just eating the muscle, are they getting what they need? If they're just going to eat like steak every day, four times a day. Not, but I'll tell you what. So if people are making an intentional choice with their diet, I bet for most people, and a diet of exclusively meat is going to be better than what they were eating before. So that's going to be an improvement. Can, yeah. But you're going to get deficient in folate. You're going to get deficient in riboflavin. You're going to get deficient in retinoic acid, which is vitamin A. You're going to get deficient in copper. You're, you're not going to get it all, but you'll do okay. I mean, you'll do good. There are people in the space. Now, if you add eggs to that, it gets to be a little better. And most people will eat you know, steak and eggs. Yeah. That's decent. Of You're course, starting yeah. to get a little more of those things. I think liver is critical for a lot of reasons. Okay. Eggs are not a great source of riboflavin, but they're a little better, a little better in folate, a little better in vitamin A. Mm -hmm. And then if you add stuff like salmon or you add um, a few other foods in there, you're starting to complete it a little bit. Really, okay. the key is just eat the organs like your ancestors did, either fresh sure. or desiccated, yeah. which is why we do what we do. But for a lot of people, eating more meat is going to be an improvement in their diet because the meat is going to replace Pop-Tarts, pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, 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 I agree. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I just want to make, I wanted to just get, make sure we, that I knew that that was an important part of it because I don't think a lot of people understand that the organs are what completes the diet. I agree. So, I think it is. And that's, okay. and I, we keep coming back to this, but I, I don't think it's something that's possible to, to belabor, which is that's how our ancestors have always eaten. Yeah. And, and yeah. you bring up this great point, but I think that there is, there's a lot of wisdom in where we've come from as humans. I don't think humans will ever be able to completely shed our past that, that over the last 2 million years, I think it's a very reasonable argument to say what our ancestors have done for the last 2 million years is probably what we should be doing today mm -hmm. for the most part if we want to be well. And that, that goes way beyond food. That goes into real human connection and wilderness and, you know, social media, you know, is, yeah. is, a, is a strange part of that. And we don't have to go down those rabbit holes, but there's a lot there to unpack. The, uh, what I want to go get into is something you said earlier about the doctors and how they vilify red meat and they vilify just meat in general. And it's confusing to me as to why a doctor would do that. Is, are, is, there, is there a lobby against red meat and animal meat, or is it just, they don't, they're not looking at the same studies you're looking at. Like, what is it? Why would a doctor who's trying to help their client, their, uh, the people that are coming to see them, why would they not tell them that this is better for them? If it's, if it's that clear to you. 
we are not taught in medical school or residency about nutrition. That, that I do know. Yeah. And so they, so they just, <clears throat> it's just a flat out ignorance. It's ignorance. And so all we know is what we hear on the news and what the guidelines are. Mm -hmm. And the guidelines are often made by people who are biased and the guidelines are influenced in a lot of different ways. And so if you look at the sheer volume of studies, I definitely want to talk about epidemiology in Eastern, in the Eastern countries, because it really clears things up. If you look at the sheer number of studies that are epidemiological in the United States, I can't fault most physicians for being confused. It's just, I don't think that we're taught this way in medical school. And yeah. This is the great irony of all of this, that, that this is none of this did I learn in medical school. <laughs> exactly. These are all dots that I had to connect after medical school because I was curious and really wanted to know what caused human disease. Mm -hmm. What was really causing our human disease? We don't, we're not taught that in medical school. We're taught what medication you give for a certain disease. We're not taught how to fix it. We're taught how to band-aid it. We're taught, yeah. how, to, you know, we're taught how to put the donut on the car, mm -hmm. the, the spare tire. We're not taught how to fix a flat. Right. Does it seem completely absurd to you that a doctor can go to school for four years or seven years or however many years? Because doctors I know, their nutritional portion of their studies is like three or four months. Not even. And I'm like, how did you go to school for seven years and you just learned like barely what I learned in like by watching a couple YouTube videos? I just, I don't, I've, I've never met a doctor who had three months of nutrition. I think <laughs> we, we might get one hour in four years of medical school. I don't, but isn't that completely absurd considering the key to all of our health is nutrition? Not when most studies are funded by pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I see. That's and, the issue. You know, um, yeah, man, it's a sad state. And I'm not saying that, that the pharmaceutical companies are trying to prevent us from understanding information. I'm just saying that Medical school curricula are biased toward pharmaceuticals. What's yeah. on my boards, what was on my boards was how you treat something, how you treat it with a medication, what medication you use for this, what are the side effects of this medication, what is the pathology of this disease, how do you treat it with medication? There was, mm -hmm. there was almost, there were probably two questions on all my boards. In medicine, you take three sets of boards, step one, step two, step three, then mm -hmm. your specialty boards, et cetera, then your subspecialty boards, lots of boards. Yeah. Maybe over the course, you had one or two questions on celiac disease and gluten intolerance, which actually involve food. Yeah. Beyond that, I never had a question that said something to the extent of this person has an autoimmune disease. Should, you know, how do you treat this? How do you actually get to the root cause of this person's autoimmune disease? Because within Western medicine, we are not challenged to ask those questions. Yeah. But yeah. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have gotten emails from people seen on my social media or gotten DMs from people with autoimmune diseases, Sjogren's, multiple sclerosis, scleroderma, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, uh, ankylosing spondylitis, ulcerative colitis, um, Crohn's disease, who have had those autoimmune diseases resolve with dietary change. And they're telling me because it did a carnivore or a carnivorous diet and it got better. And their doctor's the one with their jaw on the floor going, how did you do that? Yeah. Well, I fixed my diet, right? Changed my diet. Yeah. So you're yeah. absolutely right. One of my main goals in the future is to change medical education, but it's mm -hmm. hard, man. Do it's you, hard because we're fighting an uphill battle, but yeah. it's, it's very telling. I love getting into nutritional conversations with physicians because it's, it's very fast yeah. that they realize that they didn't get this education. And like yeah. you said, it's not for lack of good intention or intelligence in these physicians. Yeah. It's a lack in the medical curriculum. Do you think um, people would benefit from seeing homeopathic doctors? Because are they more versed in nutritional studies? 
That word is very murky, my friend. <laughs> I don't even know what a homeopathic doctor is, man, because homeopathy is technically a series of serial dilutions okay. of something where you have these homeopathic dilutions. And like, but if you're using the word, if somebody's saying like more of a natural doctor or something. That's kind of where I, I, how I meant Unfortunately, it. I don't think so because okay. they're all across the board. Yeah. You know, I went to traditional medical school. I have an MD. Yeah. And a lot of my friends who are naturopathic doctors, they're bought into the plant-based thing because, you know, that, and, and, and I disagree with them on that stuff. So yeah. I do think that if you go to see someone outside of a mainstream Western doctor, they may be more into that, but mm -hmm. they could also be into chakras or, or Ayurveda or whatever the yeah. heck. That's the problem yeah. is there's no standardization and you have no idea what that person finds to be helpful for the patients. Sure. They could be into a plant-based diet. They could be, they could be doing all kinds of stuff. They could be into psychedelics and shamanic yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, and all of that may have a place in time. But I think that that fundamental nutritional biochemistry is, is where it's at for most people. And that's the foundation. Yeah. And very few doctors are doing that. I wanted to touch on the second tenet that you discussed, which was the vegetables. Now you mentioned something about to the toxicity of vegetables and how you're okay with people eating vegetables of low toxicity. Number one, I don't think people think of vegetables as being toxic. Number two, I think people, isn't there, well, I don't want to say I think people. Number two, isn't there a level of toxicity to meat? So you're right. People don't think of vegetables as toxic, but they are highly toxic. And okay. the answer to your second question is no, there is no toxicity to meat. So I'll explain this. Really? Yeah, there's no toxicity in meat. There are no toxins in meat. What so, about the, wait a bit, what about the fat? That's like, if I get a steak and I'm eating the fat that's with the steak, isn't there toxins in the fat? No, it's good for you. There's nothing bad in it. There's nothing bad in the fat, depending, unless the animal is fed crappy food, right? Ah, that's, so, okay. Right, so, so if that's I, so not if coming I, from the animal, that's coming from the way the animal was raised. Okay, but if I'm eating a cow from a feedlot instead of a grass-fed cow? Yeah, if you're eating a be cow toxicity. from a feedlot as opposed to a grass-fed cow, the grains that cow are fed are probably sprayed with pesticides, glyphosate, which is a water-soluble toxin, atrazine, which is a fat-soluble toxin, mm -hmm. could have mold toxins on it. So yeah, the fat from that animal or the muscle from that animal may accumulate toxins. Those okay. are not intrinsic to the animal, right? No, no, no. The animal I, didn't make those defense chemicals. You're right. I, I, this is apples and oranges here. Plants no, no. make defense chemicals. I understand. I just, I, I feel like I'm really trying to break this thing down as far as possible for people Good. listening. Cause my, the people that watch this show aren't all bodybuilders. There's a lot of guys that are just normal guys that want to get in shape and they, they watch the podcast for advice on how to get in shape. And I think some of them would benefit from the carnivore diet. So I, I think, think all of them would brother. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but I just, I really feel like it's important to make sure they know that any old steak is not going to be okay. They got to get the grass fed steak. That's been, you know, raised properly. Well, let me comment on that because I think it's an important point. I want to be sensitive to where people are financially. And look, we all have to make a decision. What is your highest quality of life? What are you going to prioritize financially? There's a lot of access to grass-fed, grass-finished meat now that is pretty affordable. You can get grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef for 4 to $5 a pound. Yep. You can get grass-fed stew meat for 7 or $8 a pound. A grass-fed ribeye is going to cost you 20 bucks a pound. Not everybody can afford that, nor I, I understand that, nor should they be able to be. And honestly, 
I often don't even want to pay for 20 bucks yeah. a pound for a grass fed ribeye. So I opt for the cheaper cuts and mm-hmm. the meat that I eat is generally seven to $8 a pound stew meat. But I also want to be sensitive that for some people, seven to $8 a pound is more than they can afford. And in that mm-hmm. case, I want them to know, look, do the best you can with your meat. If the only meat that you can afford is traditionally raised, that is better than nothing, right? But that is, is it better than nothing? But is it better than uh, like different foods? That's kind of what I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to draw that line, right? Like, is it better? I believe to, it is. That's what I'm trying to say is like, is it better to eat the carnivore diet, even if you can't get the grass fed stuff, than it is to eat just a balanced diet? It depends what your quote balanced diet consists of. Well, but I it, think the, my answer to your question is yes. Okay. That, 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 that meat is meat and meat is nutritious and, and your body has some ability to detoxify things and none of us is going to live forever. Mm. Obviously we've created this clear hierarchy for people and, and, and educated them that the most important, the best option is grass fed, grass finished, both from an ethical perspective and an ecological perspective and environmental perspective. Mm-hmm. And for those who can't afford that, you can eat meat that you can afford. But if you want to reallocate your finances, I think it's worth it to invest in slightly more uh, expensive meat. And, and for me, the meat that I eat, the food that I eat is a priority, right? Yeah. So, but I'm not going to tell other people how to manage their finances. No, you know, yeah. for some people, they, they, you know, they have kids, they kids soccer, whatever, you know, they have other, other, other expenses that they need to manage. But for me, if I could not, if I didn't have enough money to buy the best meat, I would, I would sell my car, you know, I would ride my bike places, <laughs> right? I, I would get a cheaper mm-hmm. cell phone. I would find yeah. a way because it's such a huge priority for me. So we can make the priorities, but everybody's going to have to exist within their own framework. So I think that it's tricky, right? If you, your point is well taken. You said, what if somebody can only eat conventional meat and a balanced diet? Well, in that case, they're certainly not eating organic produce and organic plants. Yeah. So they're going to get the toxins either way. And I think I that see. you might as well get, you know, cause you're going to get grains or you're going to get, you know, plants that are, and you're going to get plant toxins. I, I think in that case, the meat is still better that, that the more meat okay. you include and especially organs or desiccated organ supplements, the better you're going to do. Obviously it's important to do the higher quality, but if you can't afford that, don't let it be an impediment. Okay. So let me ask you this. So let's get into the toxicity level of vegetables, but is there a way to measure the level of toxicity of a vegetable, say, and a conventionally raised cow? Like, is there a way for somebody to be like, well, there's this much toxicity in this and there's this, this much toxicity in that, or are we just guessing or like, how do we measure the level of toxicity of a, a certain thing? Yeah, good question. We don't have an objective metric to do that. Okay. Um, somebody's going to have to do their own laboratory, their own test tube, N of one. But, uh, mm-hmm. but there's a fundamental difference here, and I want to draw this distinction. Plants are rooted in the ground. They yeah. are rooted in the ground, and they have been rooted in the ground for 450 to 500 million years of coevolution with animals. They have hundreds of millions of years to develop plant defense chemicals. This is not conjecture. This is not fairy tale. This is botanical fact. Mm-hmm. There is no question that plants have toxins. The question is how good each of us are at detoxifying these chemicals. Mm-hmm. There are so many toxins in plants. There are things like phytoalexins, which are plant defense chemicals. There are oxalates, lectins, saponins, tons. The list goes on and on and on. There's tons, isothiocyanates, right? These are plants' efforts to dissuade fungi, bacteria, insects, and animals, including humans, from overconsuming them. But if you put yourself in a plant's shoes or roots, I guess plant shoes are their roots, and you think about what part of a plant, you know, a plant doesn't want anyone to eat it. Mm. Definitely doesn't want its stems, its leaves, 
its seeds or its roots to get eaten. That destroys the plant, but it does want its fruit to get eaten generally. So there is a part of a plant that is less toxic, generally speaking. And most people get this, that, hey, look, okay. if, you are, if you're eating a fruit, the plant is kind of offering it to you. It's saying, hey, here, eat my fruit. I'm going to give you some calories, a few nutrients, and I hope you'll spread my seeds somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't want you to eat the seeds, generally speaking. There's toxins in apple seeds and peach pits and all these things. So let's go and talk about the toxic parts of plants, and then we'll talk about the non-toxic parts of plants. Okay. You've used the word vegetable a few times, and I just want to be clear that vegetable is just a colloquial term, and it means stems, roots, leaves. Those are vegetables. Yeah. People might consider beans to be a vegetable, in which case we're getting into the seeds. But the seeds, I think, are the most toxic parts of plants. And this includes seeds, nuts, grains, and beans, which are called legumes. Okay. It makes, this is like a little baby Moses put on the river, and it's totally vulnerable. All of the plant's reproductive efforts, the plant goes to so much effort to make a seed, and it's totally vulnerable. If an animal bites half a seed away, it's dead. That seed is never going to grow. Mm -hmm. Seeds are packed, packed with plant defense chemicals, packed. Mm -hmm. digestive enzyme inhibitors, phytates, oxalates, compounds that chelate minerals. So all plant seeds are quite toxic. And anyone who's done an almond binge or ever been to a fancy vegan dinner where everything is made out of almonds and you know you have like steak made out of almonds and everything made out of, you know how bad your stomach okay. hurts okay, and wait. farts I, are after that. I have, to, I have to interrupt, I have to interrupt. So there are, there, aren't there actual diets based on the benefits of seeds? like sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, like, and now you're telling me these things are toxic. And I'm like, but that's, there's actually diets that, that tell you to add seeds because of the benefit and the, and the minerals that you might get from them. And then, and then you're also saying about, about almonds, but I, I thought the almond thing was always just because our bodies didn't break them down properly in, in like digestion because we couldn't like chew them enough. So we didn't break them down properly. So that's why we were, that's kind of our body's like way of saying, hey, don't eat that. I didn't think it's because they were releasing any toxins. They're definitely releasing toxins. There's an interesting okay. series of case studies in kids mm -hmm. with uh, genital urinary disorders. Okay. And these were kids with like recurrent urinary tract infections, recurrent kidney stones, pain, cystitis, inflammation of the bladder. And, and the, the commonality between all of them was that all the kids were being fed almond milk. Right. So okay. there's, there's no question that almonds are, are not good food for humans. Now, I should say, this is not to say that our ancestors never ate plants, but yeah. I want to make it very clear that throughout human evolution, our ancestors always favored animal foods and they used plant foods as yeah. fallback foods, as yeah. survival foods. Yeah. During yeah. times of scarcity, you can use plants. That's what's beautiful about being a human and why we are, quote, omnivorous. Mm -hmm. but animal foods are where it's really at. They're what people are always trying to get evolutionarily. Mm -hmm. So in cultures where seeds are eaten, they often go to great lengths to detoxify them. They ferment them. They'll soak them. You know, they do all kinds of things to That's make actually true. edible. Yeah. Yeah. There's clearly a knowledge that there's toxicity here. Mm -hmm. have, have you ever tried to eat a raw bean? Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't because they're hard, but if yeah. you actually pull them off the vine, they're soft. And okay. you certainly can. But three to four raw beans, depending on the type of bean that you're eating, will cause you to vomit and crap your pants and be horribly painful really? within a few hours. Yeah, beans are <laughs> frankly toxic. You can definitely eat a raw bean off the vine and it will tell you immediately that this is toxic for you. Okay, so uh, again, I have to interrupt because people are always talking about the benefits of beans, mainly the fiber and this and that. So 
I don't eat beans personally because in, a, in an abundance of fiber actually hurts the way I can take in a lot of calories for a bodybuilding diet because it'll just slow me down. An but, abundance of calories also depletes you of nutrients. But yeah, go ahead. It, what, yeah. What do you mean? Well, in, fiber is known to uh, bind to minerals and prevent their absorption. So oh, there are experiments is, done with oysters, yeah. which are full of zinc. And all bodybuilders and people that want to be healthy, especially dudes, love zinc because it's mm -hmm. a precursor or it's involved in testosterone formation and zinc mm -hmm. finger proteins. You can give someone oysters and you can see the zinc level in the blood go up. Mm -hmm. And then you can do a second experiment where you give someone zinc or you give someone oysters and beans. And the level of zinc in the blood is less than half. And then you give someone zinc, you give someone oysters and beans and tortillas, and there is no zinc absorbed. There is no zinc absorbed. Really? So this is the problem with fiber and all of these anti-nutrients in these foods. And fiber can be an anti-nutrient. It will prevent the is, absorption of minerals in your body. I had to interject. Is, sorry, this is, no, this is amazing because my training partner, Paul, will is constantly going on about fiber and how amazing it is. So I had to make sure I clip this part of the podcast and send it to him and let him know that he's actually uh, poisoning himself. There's a whole chapter in my book about fiber. Fiber is a huge fallacy. It generally just causes people problems. There's tons of misconceptions about this. We can go down the fiber rabbit hole if you want, but there's lots of rabbit holes we well, got going on right now. So. I, I know, I know there is, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but there's just so much, so much to talk about because I know. the fiber thing you know, the fiber thing is important because I know they say it lowers, lowers cholesterol. And a lot of guys in my it doesn't. age, it well, doesn't. So that, it's, that's predicated on the fact that lower cholesterol is better, which is a falsehood as well. So mm. if okay. you believe that LDL causes, if you believe that low density lipoprotein or that cholesterol is directly causative for atherosclerosis, you might think it's good that fiber lowers it, but it lowers it a very small amount. The studies I've seen are 3.6 to 4.5 milligrams per deciliter, which is a nothing. Okay. So fiber doesn't really lower cholesterol, nor do you want it to, nor do I believe that the evidence shows that LDL is directly causal for atherosclerosis. So the, a nuance there. The other reason I think people talk about fiber so much is the satiation aspect. If you eat fiber in your diet, it satiates you, you're not going to eat as much and it'll be easier to lose weight. Is that False. nonsense? False. So if you look at the False. studies with fiber and weight loss, it doesn't help. Okay. Um, because you know how humans are supposed to get satiated. You're supposed to get satiated when you eat nutrient rich food. You yeah. know what else is satiating? protein satiates you. Steak. Yeah. yeah. Protein like, satiates you. Yeah. You know what else is satiating? Like <laughs> nutrient containing organs and meat. And you don't have to satiating. Satiation is not just about stuffing your stomach till mm. it's totally full. I had a friend growing up who was in the Rangers and he said that at one time, one of these things they had to do, they starved them for days and guys were eating toilet paper and drinking water. That's essentially what we're saying when we're talking about fiber and satiation, this is a non-nutritive substance. Okay. You're putting it in your stomach and you're just trying to expand your stomach. That's not how satiety works. There's okay. feedback in your brain and the ventromedial hypothalamus. There's feedback throughout the body that creates true lasting satiety for humans mm. and just filling your stomach to the point that you're like, it hurts. Yeah. That's not satiety. That's such, an, it's such another rabbit hole I want to go down now. Jeez. Okay, let's go all the way back. So... We'll go back. We started this with the toxicity of vegetables. So right. what vegetables are allowed in the carnivore-ish diet or carnivore diet? What, what vegetables do you recommend that people eat that aren't toxic? So traditionally, no vegetables. I'm talking about fruit, right? And there okay. are sweet and non-sweet fruit. If you look at indigenous cultures, like- Oh, the hot, because okay? you're saying some vegetable, we're using the term vegetable wrongly. Loosely, in a, in, yes. Yeah, okay, yes. okay. Right. So there are many non-sweet fruits like avocado, olives, and squash, which is a variety mm -hmm. of things. Cucumber, zucchini, 
you know, butternut squash, kabocha squash, acorn yeah. squash. These are all fruit, right? Okay. So these are all foods that I think are less toxic for humans along with sweet fruit, watermelon, apples, pear, cherries, peaches, berries, see how people respond to them. Personally, what I've noticed is that if I eat a lot of fruit, it just makes me very hungry. And I think our ancestors would have eaten fruit when it was available. Mm -hmm. But seasonally, depending on our latitude, fruit is pretty freaking rare. I mean, berries are around occasionally, but I don't think they're around all the time. They're certainly not available. I live in Austin, Texas, man. There's no way I'm getting strawberries this time of year, but I can go to Whole Foods and have a pound of strawberries in 10 minutes if I want to. That's not very consistent. It's not the end of the world. But what I have found is that the non-sweet fruits are the more satiating ones if we want to include carbohydrates in our diet. And I do think there is a place for that for most people. Again, there's lots of rabbit holes here. Mm-hmm. Benefits of ketogenic diets versus cycling ketosis, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another carbohydrate source that is really ancestrally consistent, which is honey, which okay. is kind of on the border of a plant food versus an animal food. It's not a vegetable, yeah. but there are foods. So you know, when we look at the less toxic foods, it's not a huge list, but then again, my, my suggestion or what I'm suggesting here, what I'm, what I'm putting forth is that our ancestors didn't eat a lot of things like roots and stems and leaves and seeds. And if they had to, they detoxified them a lot but, or they ate them as fallback foods. Remember the Hadza, they mm-hmm. eat honey, meat and organs, berries, baobab fruit, and then they eat tubers. So they eat five foods according to this paper. And they consistently rate tubers as the last food. That's the least favorite food of any of those guys. They don't want to eat tubers. They don't have to. And they'll stop eating tubers generally because they're super fibrous and they're kind of defended from plants. So it's not really quote vegetables, right? But you look at the way that indigenous hunter gatherers eat food. They're not going around eating a bunch of plant leaves unless they're totally starving. These plant leaves suck. (laughs) There's no caloric density there. They're not that bioavailable in the nutrients. And yet we've been told that kale is amazing and spinach is great. And I'm saying, no way. Kale is full of tons of toxins. Spinach is full of oxalates. I can't even tell you how many thousands of cases of kidney stones are caused every year by the oxalates and spinach and other vegetables. Okay. So, so when we're talking about plant so, foods, I want people to think about it from an evolutionary perspective, an anthropologic perspective and realize, hey, these are the more evolutionarily consistent foods. That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to understand. What is a species appropriate diet for humans? Occasional, some carbohydrates, honey, fruit, sweet fruit, non-sweet fruit, see what works for you and what your goals are. Like you said, for a lot of people, fiber is just a big negative. I have yeah. found that I don't really like having a ton of fiber in my diet either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of people feel much better without fiber. So we can go down the fiber rabbit hole a little bit right now if you want, because it's no. a fascinating one. No, no, it's okay. I, I, what I wanted to say was, so far, it sounds like I can do your diet pretty easily because if I can have you know, you say unsweetened fruit. So I'm thinking things like, uh, like you said, cucumbers or sweetened fruit, like tomatoes, anything like to me, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I mean, so I can have a salad, just not have the leafy parts of it, which is fine. Right. So tomato is a nightshade. So if we get one layer deeper, there are some foods that are fruit that are probably not great for humans. That whole family of nightshades does generally cause people immunologic problems. If you tolerate tomatoes, more power to you, man. But Generally speaking, if somebody's got back pain or knee pain and I have them take out tomatoes and eggplant and, and these fruits that are, that are in the nightshade family, they do way, way better. Are you going to tell me I got to take tomatoes on my diet? Look, man, you, you define your quality of life, not me. <laughs> you're you tell me, me what your highest quality of life so, is. So you're telling me like if I'm having like sometimes my knees bother me, right? Well, obviously there could be other foods that are causing it, but you're telling me tomatoes could be the cause. 
I'm telling you, it could definitely be one of the causes of kale or spinach. What's the definition of a nightshade vegetable and why is it causing me so much anguish? So it's from a family of plants. This is a phylogenetic characterization of plants and the family of plants is Solanaceae, which is nightshades. There okay. are things like Datura, which is a deadly nightshade. And there's a lot of other plants in there that, have, that are known to contain toxins like solanine. White potatoes were frankly toxic before we changed them and made them a little more digestible for humans. But white potatoes are a nightshade and they still make solanine when they are stressed. Those little green buds on a potato are full of solanine, which is a toxin. Okay. So it's just the family of plants makes toxins. We've used them culturally over the last few hundred years, maybe a thousand years. But for a lot of people, there are some major problems. You can maybe make the tomato less toxic by taking off the skin and the seeds. But how many people who eat tomato are going to take away the yeah. seed and the skin, right? Like, that's why I just say, like, just make it easy. Like, just tomatoes are probably not a good thing. So mm -hmm. this is what's interesting for you. And I would love for you to try this if you want. Obviously, it's your choice. It would be so cool for people. What I'm trying to do is not convince everybody to stop eating all plants for the rest of their lives. I want people to understand there's a tool here. There's a tool to reimagine which foods are good for us and bad for us. And if you're not thriving in, in, you're not 10 out of 10 in every box, right? Yeah. Joint pain, energy, libido, body composition, sleep. Why not try and modify this a little bit and see what gets better? I hear people all the time, their joint pain gets better when yeah. they cut out the majority of plant foods. And I can't tell you how many people tell me their gut, they're pooping, they're more regular, less diarrhea, less pain, less gas, less bloating when they decrease the fiber. Yeah, especially yeah. when they decrease nuts. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, a lot of this goes against the conventional wisdom, but I think it's super interesting and it's a, it's a very powerful tool for people to, to really begin to think, oh, there's another option here. If people are listening to this and they are kicking ass, man, just send yeah. me an email and tell me about it because we want to know what you're doing to kick ass. But a lot of people could improve in something and that's why I think it's valuable to know there are other ideas out there. What when we talk about toxicity, it feels like such a loose term. What am I feeling when I feel, okay, if my toxicity level starts to elevate in my body, right? What are some of the things I'm going to feel? Are we like, cause you, everybody's things, a little different, yeah. right? Everybody's a little different. So for me, I get eczema. Okay. I get a skin rash. I grew up with asthma and eczema. I think everybody's got sort of an immunologic Achilles heel. Sure. Everybody's got something that breaks first. Some people might get depressed. Some people might get angry. Some people might get anxious. Mm -hmm. Some people might get a skin rash. Some people might get, uh, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. Some people might get joint pain. Some people might get sleep disturbance. Some okay. people might get, you know, more severe uh, yeah. manifestations, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, Sjogren's, multiple sclerosis, uh, all kinds of things. So everybody's going to manifest a little differently depending okay. on what your body, where your body has the Achilles heel immunologically. Some people might get cardiovascular disease or gout or all these things. Yeah. So, but a lot of it is similar immunologically. So if you're feeling, if you have any kind of ailment going on, your first priority should be to lower any of the foods that we've discussed that have toxicity levels, that higher toxicity levels. I think it's a fantastic first step and elimination diets like that are so powerful. It's, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really cost anything. If usually it costs less because you're eating yeah. less of these foods. I mean, yeah. you have to replace them with something but there's no side effects. And that's what's so interesting about a carnivore diet is that if you eat a lot of meat and organs, you're gonna get all the nutrients you need to thrive. Mm. I've said that in my book and multiple times on podcasts, you can get all of the nutrients that you need to thrive as a human from animal meat and organs. We know this, mm. there's nothing left out. 
And so you're not going to get nutrient deficient. Now, the reverse is not true. You cannot get everything you need to thrive from plants. Again, here we are illustrating plants are survival food. They are fallback food. They're clearly second-class citizens. There's so many things in there. Creatine, carnitine, choline, carnosine, full-spectrum K2, B12, B6, riboflavin, folate. list goes on and on. Answering, taurine. You can't get any of that, any significant quantity from plants. Yeah. Um, the, one of the main things I want to ask you about is in actually, and this is in terms of bodybuilding is we value our carbohydrates a lot when we're trying to build muscle. So where do carbohydrates fit into the diet? Is there carbohydrates in the diet when we're talking about starchy carbohydrates, like, like oatmeal, or you already said potatoes are toxic. So potatoes are out, but, uh, what about rice? Like white rice is white rice out because it's processed or do you do brown rice? Like these kind of things, like, how does that work? Yeah. So I I think that uh, there are less toxic carbohydrates and white rice is probably fine for a lot of people, but for some people it couldn't cause immunologic issues. For majority of people, it's going to be fine. It's basically just amylose, but I would favor white rice over brown rice. You don't want the arsenic in the hull of brown rice. You don't want that. You don't, I mean, white rice can be great, but you know, I had a client the other day, just the other day who emailed me and so he was doing a carnivore diet. He had no carbohydrates. He's not a bodybuilder. Yeah. But he was saying, I'm, I'm cramping. I'm kind of lethargic. And I said, add carbohydrates back. Long-term ketogenic diets generally don't work for humans. Mm-hmm. Cyclic ketosis is great, but long-term ketogenic diets can be problematic for humans okay. because of electrolyte balance and overall low levels of insulin signaling, which are needed for human physiology. So okay. I do think there's a place for carbohydrates in a carnivore-ish diet. I do think there's a place for cycling lower levels of carbohydrates into your diet, depending what your goals are. Mm-hmm. White rice is an option. Squash is an option. Um, but sweet potatoes may be an option for some people, though they're a little higher in oxalates. Mm-hmm. Um, berries and fruit are an option and honey is an option. So there are options here for people. If they want to include a lot of carbohydrates, they just need to be honest with how they're doing with them. I would not use oats. That's what I was going to ask you. Very high in phytic acid. I have a lot of personal stories of repetitive stress fractures from lots of oats in my diet. Again, the phytic acid is chelating the minerals that are supposed to be in there and getting in. So oats are not my favorite. Wheat is not my favorite. There are ways to do it. Um, And you can do low fructose or higher fructose, depending how you -hmm. you handle fructose. But I do think if you want starchy carbohydrates, my first go-to would be squash then probably something like white rice and maybe sweet potatoes, depending how you do with that. And I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, There definitely are people who can do it with lower carbs, but if you guys want to put more in, there's an option for that, I think from an ancestrally consistent lens as well. Okay. So if I want to now, but there's got to be a level where it becomes no longer a carnivore diet. Like if I say I want to eat 500 grams of carbs a day, you're not like from rice. It's no longer a carnivore diet, diet, is it? Well, like, I don't really, I don't really think we need to make those distinctions. You know, are you prioritizing animal foods and, and who, who's to say, like, why do you have to label yourself as a carnivore anyway? Like, that's just, well, I'm just, just I'm just trying to figure out, like, it's not because it's a label. I just trying to figure out where, where the diet, where it's kind of no longer, it's no longer kind of what you're prescribed, what you're prescribing. Right. My perspective would be if you are prioritizing meat and organs and you are thinking about a toxicity spectrum of plant foods, you're essentially eating a carnivore-ish diet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're in the community, you know, in my perspective, it's not quite like vegans where we're trying to virtue signal by being a carnivore and, and all this stuff. Like, you know, yeah. but my takeaways for people are, again, realize meat and organs are so valuable for humans and, you know, think about the plant toxicity spectrum yeah. and eliminate the most toxic plants. You're going to do way better. You said, 
you can build muscle on the carnivore diet. And I know there is a distinction between the carnivore diet and the keto diet, obviously, but is it going to be harder for somebody to build muscle on the carnivore diet? Because it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like carbs are a major priority of the diet. Right. So, I mean, is it easy to build muscle on the carnivore diet? If you're eating 500 grams of carbs as rice, I think you'll be just fine, my man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. I mean, so, you know, if you, if you came to me as a client and said, hey, our, my goal is muscle building and I am 250 pounds, yeah. you know, and I just want to put on muscle. I'd be like, great. Yeah. How much can you eat? Like, you want to eat 500 grams of carbs as rice? Do it. Make yeah. sure you get 250 grams of protein and steak get some good animal fat, get some organs or get some desiccated organ capsules. Mm -hmm. And, and that could be it, man. Like yeah, you don't yeah. have to eat. I would say maybe lose the tomato and lose the <laughs> salad. And I think you'll feel better. And I want to see yeah. how your joints feel, but you could do like carnivore plus rice. Yeah. You know that we're getting into Stan Efferding's world here, a little bit of like a vertical diet type of thing. Yeah. Although I'm good friends with Stan yeah. and you know, Stan will put in like some orange juice or some, some broccoli. I'm like, Stan, why did you put spinach in there, man? You don't <laughs> need spinach. You can do carnivore plus rice yeah. and be completely good on this diet. I think that would actually be a great hack for people yeah. so they could get all these calories um, yeah. and they'd be just fine. And you'd be getting the nutrients with very few toxins. So the way I think about it is this, this will encapsulate it for people. You want to get the most nutrients in the most bioavailable forms with the least amount of plant defense chemicals and toxins. Yeah. And so you could do meat, organs, fat, salt, rice, and crush it. And you could absolutely build muscle. I don't actually know what would be better than that. That sounds ideal to me because everything else is just filler. You think a tomato is helping you build muscle? No way, man. <laughs> yeah. There's no so muscle is, building on tomatoes. So basically this is a bodybuilding diet. Like if you're adding the, the rice, it's just, yeah. a body, it's just a bodybuilding diet because that's pretty much what I mean, bodybuilders are notorious for eating oatmeal, but other than that, that's pretty much a bodybuilding diet. But the one thing I did want to touch on was uh, we are notorious for egg whites and chicken. And, I, and since you mentioned Stan, Stan is like anti-chicken, anti-egg whites because he said the nutritional value is much lower than red meat or I think he calls it uh, four-chamber stomach animals. So Ruminants. That's right. So where do you stand on that? Like if I'm doing the carnivore diet and I eat a lot of chicken, is that okay? Why would you do that? <laughs> chicken just, sucks. Listen, I'm just asking. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there that aren't vegetarian, aren't vegans or vegetarians, but they just don't eat red meat. And I don't know why they don't eat red meat. I think they're not eating. I don't know why people aren't eating red meat. Maybe they're afraid of the fat or something, but some people, some people don't like it. And some people it's religious. Yeah. Yeah. So if, right. if it's religious, then do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's lamb or, you know, whatever it's for, there's a lot of red meat. That's not a cow. If you don't want to eat a cow yeah. um, or there's a lot of kosher meats out there that are fine for people. But I, I agree with Stan completely. Like red meat from a ruminant is much more nutritious in many ways than chicken breast. Chicken breast is fine, but it's just, there's almost no fat. There's not a lot of flavor. And certainly, why would you eat the egg white when you could just eat the whole egg? The well, yolk has so many good nutrients, man. Get the cholesterol, get the choline, get the vitamin A, get what's in the yolk. Don't throw out, you're throwing out the best part. Like you can get the egg white if you want. But the other thing you got to realize about egg whites is that egg whites do contain a protein called avidin. Okay. And avidin binds, uh, I believe it's, I, 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 avidin binds biotin. So you okay. don't want to become biotin deficient. You don't want to do that. So you don't want to Why? eat your egg whites raw. Why? And personally, I feel worse when I'm eating egg whites. If I eat eggs, I only eat the yolk. 
I throw out the egg white. <laughs> I just want the steak and the yolk. That's, that's to me the ideal. Um, so I know what? people like the egg whites because it's supposed to be a highly bioavailable protein. Well, if you're eating two to three pounds of steak a day, you're getting plenty of freaking protein, depending how big you are, you know? Why, do I, why is bio, biotin so important? Biotin is a B vitamin that's involved in hair, skin, nails, all okay. kinds of things, hormonal things. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I will tell you this, you know, there are animal foods that trigger immunologic reactions in humans too. Some people are sensitive to dairy and some people are sensitive to egg whites. There's also albumin in egg whites, which can trigger immunologic reactions. So okay. again, we have to think like, how are people doing? Um, is there an issue going on with these things? And could it be optimized with some of the less immunogenic foods? Well, I think the reason, since you asked the question, just, for, just to give you an answer, in the off season, most bodybuilders don't opt for egg whites and don't opt for chicken. They, they do usually go more with like red meats or egg, whole eggs, even salmon. Um, I think when we're dieting for shows, we start stripping away calories. And then, but we want to keep the protein. So we use things like chicken because it's going to be lower in fat. And that the way we can start to manipulate our calories a little bit and start stripping away some of the fat off our body. So that's the reason for the chickens. We're looking for the purest source of protein. Now, without the fat, without the fat, which kind of goes against what you're saying, which is why we're probably starving all the time. Because I didn't realize when I thought of uh, satiety, I thought about filling my stomach. I didn't actually even realize what you were saying about my brain feeling satiated and feeling like it didn't need any more food because of all the nutrients I've gotten. So when we're doing bodybuilding diets and we're doing primarily egg whites and chicken, so you're telling me half the reason I'm hungry is because I'm just not getting the nutrients I need. You're just not getting the nutrients. I think you could do that. You could do that even better with lean red meat. And you know, if you didn't want the fat, I mean, look, there is rabbit starvation is a real thing. You can, you can, if you just eat protein without carbohydrates or fat, you will lose fat. That is yeah. rabbit starvation. Eventually yeah. you will die yeah. like the Arctic explorers who could only eat rabbit, yeah. which is just protein. So this is also called protein sparing modified fasting. And you know, you can do these fast and you will lose weight. You will lean out and you will preserve muscle mass by just doing protein without carbs and fat. But as well, most bodybuilders know, there are hormonal consequences mm -hmm. to that as well. So there are are more and less, I think, um, healthy ways to do that. And I'm not a bodybuilder. I've never claimed yeah. to be a bodybuilder, but yeah. I'm a pretty lean, moderately muscular individual for someone that doesn't, yeah. uh, that doesn't bodybuild. I'm 5'9", 170. You know, I have muscles. I have a six-pack. So yeah. I'm, I understand it, but I guess what you guys do is so different. To hold the amount of muscle that you guys hold is very challenging for the human body. And yeah. I understand how you do it and why you do it. And you kind of like bulk and lift, and then you just have to really you have to put yourself in a starvation mode to get ready for a show. Yeah. And there's no way around that. You know, there's like, there's no way to do that in a yeah. healthy way. Your body's going to be like, yo, you're starving me, you know? So, so yeah. So you're telling me, uh, for example, let's take an off season bodybuilder, or just take an average person. Let's say not even say he's a bodybuilder. Somebody's trying to avoid snacking at night. I, I have that problem, right? And people, my listeners know I'm a big food guy. Are you telling me that the more nutritious my food is, the less that snacking is going to start bugging me? Yep. And so that's one of the issues I'm having and I don't even know it. Probably. Yeah. I don't snack between my meals. I eat two meals a day. My last meal of the day is usually at 3.30 PM and I don't eat again for the rest of the night. And then the first meal of the day is at nine or 9.30 in the morning. So I'll do a compressed eating window and I don't get hungry between the meals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, 
I really believe that's because I'm eating meat and organs and bone broth and connective tissue and tendons. And, and I'm getting in, you know, tonight I had a little bit of butternut squash, you mm -hmm. know, earlier in the week I had some raspberries or some strawberries. And so it's a very nutrient rich diet. So depending how much fat you actually want, if you, if you had egg yolks in your diet, that would help a lot and liver and meat, those things are really good. Chicken is okay, but yeah, I agree with Stan. Ruminant animals, multiple stomached animals, that meat is more nutritious. And if you put in liver, man, then you're just jamming. Or even bone broth too. I mean, how many bodybuilders and guys are getting bone broth and connective tissue? That's yeah. critical. Not That's many. critical. What do, we, what do you think of those bone broth powders? Because I have some, but I haven't actually used them yet. Better than nothing. Better than nothing. So but how, how do you get your bone broth? You actually just boil the bones? Yeah. So I have an instant pot, the best $80 I've ever spent and mm -hmm. not sponsored, no affiliation, but I have an instant pot and I put in knuckle bones and water <clears throat> and you pressure cook it for four hours yeah. and it comes out, you put it in the fridge and it's gelatin. It like shakes. It's just jello. Yeah. And you can eat the tendons off the bone. You can eat the meat off the bone. Well, how do you eat? Wait a minute. How do you eat the gelatin? <laughs> what are you doing with that? Oh, you just, I just heat it up in a, in a pan and drink it like a soup. Oh, okay. So, okay. So it liquefies yeah. after. Yeah. It liquefies when you heat it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never, I've never done it. So I don't. I think that this is a real big problem for people. So the, the connective tissue is a key organ that, that your body needs glycine and I'm sure bodybuilders get it. You need collagen. Man, it's all the fascial tissue, all the ligaments, all the tendons yeah. that are connecting those muscles to bones. Yeah. And I just think that as humans, we do not get that enough because we're not eating nose to tail. Like, you know, I, I killed a deer yesterday when I was hunting and I was eating, I was eating the heart and the liver. And, you know, like ancestrally, we would have eaten that thing nose to tail. All the tendons are going in stews or we're eating the tendons. Like I'm eating all the connective tissue in that animal. And mm -hmm. we just cut it all away today. Even if you have a steak with a tendon or something chewy in it, you spit it out. You throw it in the trash. We yeah. need that. <laughs> you know, I had a New York steak for dinner tonight. Yeah. New York has a tendon in it. It has a really yeah. thick tendon. I'm like, I want that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need that. And we cut it out. People will cut out the tendon. And Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, don't, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but out of curiosity, it's my own selfish question. I've been prone to a lot of injuries in my career. And I w I'm curious, is that a connective tissue problem? Like, am I not getting enough? Is my connective tissue not strong enough? Like ligament, tendon, these kind of things. Like I'm not able to hold up to the, the pressure I'm putting on my body. Very possible. I mean, you got to think about the massive amount of pressure that you're putting on your body with those lifts. You know, I'm good friends yeah. with Mark Bell yeah. and these guys. And you think, man, like you're going to rupture a bicep. That tendon better be so damn strong with this. Yeah. Strong as you're going to make your bicep or your pec tendon or any of this, your quad. Like absolutely could be a nutritional thing. Okay. Absolutely. And I see this all the time with people ruptured discs and back aches. And I think, okay, I can fix this. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's just straightforward. We don't think about it though. Uh, I'm not going to keep you too much longer because we've been on for a while, but I want to ask you about hunting. So when did you start hunting? I've been hunting for about, about nine or 10 years now. So um, yeah. what, what I want to ask you is when, what do you hunt? Do you hunt everything? Yeah, everything. I hunt deer. I hunt hogs. I, I haven't hunted an elk yet, but I want to. Okay. When you go out for a hunt, you said you eat the organs raw. Do you eat them right there or do you take them home first? Like, are you going like- I usually eat them right there just because it's fun with your friends. And <laughs> yeah, yesterday I killed a deer yesterday morning and we all ate a bite out of the heart and a bite out of the liver. Just fresh, right really? out of the animal. Yeah, you'll, your listeners will love this. I probably shouldn't even tell you guys this. 
So we had the deer skull and it's got the antlers and we cut open the head and I ate the brain raw. You know what? I've, I've been, you don't have to do that, but I did it. It's probably one of the most nutritious parts. They say the brain, the heart. It's super. It's delicious. It's treasured by ancestral yeah. peoples. You know, there's, there's not really chronic. The deer was clearly not chronic wasting disease. I don't think there was any prion disease in the brain and yeah. it's coming right out of the skull. It's completely sterile and it's, it's really, it's really mild. I love brain. It's very hard to get. How, how many guys were you with? I was with two other guys. And they had some of the brain too. They did have some of the brain. I was surprised. <laughs> I got the majority of it. I was lucky. I was like the alpha. They, they just didn't want as much of the brain. So I got the alpha share of the brain. Do your friends, do your friends think you're weird? You know, I think that anybody who hangs out with me now knows what I'm about and they don't yeah. think you're that weird anymore. They're like, oh man, that was great. You know, that's really, they like what I do and they're interested in it. Yeah. So I don't hunt, but I'm fascinated by it. So when you go out and you hunt the deer, you kill the deer, are you using bow and arrow or shotgun or how, how are you? Bow. bow and, okay. Um, what's the next step? You just, you cut it open right there and start kind of taking pieces of what you want. Like how does, like, what do you do? A small animal like a deer, you, you bring it out to the road, you bring the truck around and yeah. you know, I'm on somebody's ranch. So you bring, you bring it out to the road, you bring the truck around, you cut it in the Achilles tendons and you hang it. And then you, then you strip the skin off and you pull out the guts, you pull out the intestines and right. the stomach. And this you is all right the there. And liver. Huh? This, is all, this is all right there. Like on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the camp. Yeah. So you cut everything out, save the heart. And do you, are you eating anything at that time? Or are you kind of going off we usually take a bite of the liver and the heart and then sometimes you if you have a fire going and you're hungry you'll eat the tenderloin or the backstrap like the best cuts right then and there mm -hmm. and sometimes you just put it all in a cool like last night i just put it in a cooler and brought it home and then before i jumped on this podcast with you i was literally butchering the deer you know on my kitchen counter putting meat in bags for yeah my friends do you face any do you ever face any backlash from anybody because of the hunting thing I mean, I, I respect hunters that eat their own. I don't respect, I don't, I don't like sport hunting, but I respect hunters that eat their kills. So do you get any backlash from anybody about it? You know, it's, it's so interesting. There's a lot of irony here. This is what we did as humans. <laughs> like this is, yeah. this is the way we've always lived. Yeah. And I think it's so much more valuable to see the food and know where it's coming from. Every time I eat that deer, I'm going to know that deer. And I see it as a responsibility. That deer is kind of like giving its nutrition to me in exchange for a responsibility to live my life well and to be kind and empathic and just to do the work on myself. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what it's about. And so I want to know the animal that's making a sacrifice for me in order for something to live, something else must die. It's incredibly ironic when humans want to eat meat, but they don't want to see where it comes from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I posted on Instagram yesterday, a picture of me with the heart, the deer is hanging in the background and I had the most number of people unfollow me I've ever had on Instagram. And I thought, that's awesome. You know, like that's just crazy that people, yeah. and the post also got a ton of engagement, but I think people were grossed out by it. It's like, do you eat meat? Do you know where this yeah. comes from? Like, I can't even tell you how much gratitude I have for that animal yeah. in order for something to live. Something else must die. That is the way of life. And so if I get pushback from it, it just, to me, it immediately makes me think, I'm not sure that person understands how humans exist on the face of this earth. Yeah. So well, it also is shocking because a lot of those people will go order a cheeseburger and not think twice. But I think actually seeing it kind of drives them a little bit crazy. Do you get pushback from like the vegan, vegan people because you're the carnivore guy? Like, 
do you even care? Are you like, this is just the way it is. And I know this is the right thing or does it bother you, you at all? You expect it, right? You expect yeah. it. People always say to you, of course I get pushed back. Like bring it on. The conversations are valuable. And, yeah. and the vegan conversation is a tired one. At this point, I think it's pretty freaking clear that animals are beneficial for humans and that eating a plant-based diet is a, is a swift path to nutritional catastrophe. And you can supplement like crazy. And I know there are vegan bodybuilders out there and I can't even imagine the amount of supplements that they are taking. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't take supplements. Yeah. I I make, I make desiccated organ supplements for people, but that's food, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't take synthetic supplements. I don't take collagen because I eat the tendons. I don't take anything. I don't take a multivitamin. I don't take I don't do it. I don't take creatine because I'm eating the meat. You don't take, you don't take any vitamins and minerals? Like, cause I have like a whole tackle box full of like different vitamins and minerals that Nothing. I take. Nothing. Really? Nothing. Because I'm getting it all from the animal, right? I guess if you're eating all the organs and everything. Yeah. And the bones and bone yeah. meal and calcium. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot more I have to ask you, but it's been, it's been quite a while. Is there, maybe you'll come on again for a different one. For sure. I just, okay. can I talk about the epidemiology in Asia before we go? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm happy so, to have you on as long as possible. Yeah, so, the, so when, and then I'll let, and then I'll let you go and I'll go back to butchering the deer, <laughs> but uh, I'm serious. So I was talking about all the epidemiology in the United States. And I want people to know that if you look at epidemiology in Asia, it looks completely different. And this to me is just a real indictment of what's gone on. So you can look at these same sort of observational studies in Asia where they ask people, how much red meat do you eat? And then you follow them forward. This is people in Taiwan and Singapore and Japan and China, over 200,000 men and 200,000 women. We're talking about almost half a million men and women in these combined studies. Mm -hmm. And they do the same sort of things in the United States. They ask how much meat and how's your health outcomes? And the outcomes are completely the opposite of the United States. The men who eat the most red meat in Asia have... Uh, have the lowest rates of cardiovascular disease. I want to repeat that. The men in Asia who eat the most red meat have the lowest rates of cardiovascular disease. That's heart attacks. The women who eat the most red meat have the lowest rates of cancer. Now, how is that possible? It's possible because the epidemiology is telling us about the narrative. It's not telling us that red meat is bad for humans. What's the narrative in Asia? The narrative is that meat is affluence. What's the narrative in the West? Meat is bad for you. So who eats meat in the United States? People that are rebels. Who eats meat in Asia? The people who are more affluent, the people who are actually trying to live good lives. Mm -hmm. So it's not that Asians can eat red meat and Caucasians shouldn't. That makes no sense evolutionarily. I have a a question before you go on. And this goes back to the other question I was kind of pressing you on before, which is the amount of food. Right. Because I know in Asian culture, like if you look at at an American plate, the protein portion is half the plate, okay? It's usually half to a third of the plate. If you look at uh, Middle Eastern or Asian culture, the protein portions are sparse throughout the meal. They're not like, they're not the main part of the meal. So does that have any bearing on the studies you're talking about? You know, I will add to that the data point that in Hong Kong, they eat some of the most meat in the world. They eat like a pound and a half of meat per day. Okay. And their life expectancy is 85.6 years. Okay. So it depends where you're looking at. You know, Hong Kong was certainly in that study. But remember that in this study, the men who eat the most red meat, right? Yeah, the men who yeah. eat more red meat have better outcomes. The women who eat more red meat have better outcomes. Sure. So there you're actually quantifying mm-hmm. the, the amount of meat eaten by these people. Okay. So, yeah. Amazing. Um, is, there any, is there any advice you want to give anybody before... Uh, I let you go. Any, anything you want to 
kind of just a general statement for the public. The, the most pithy <laughs> statement I can make is eat like your ancestors, not like your doctor, right? Okay. Doctors are not taught nutrition. They're not taught anthropology. They know nothing about human evolution. And so your ancestors ate meat and organs and understood which plants were the most toxic. Do that and you will thrive. And okay. if you eat like your doctor, you'll probably end up looking like your doctor. And I imagine the majority of people listening to this have doctors they don't want to look like. Yeah. Is there, is there a breakdown of the entire diet anywhere, like on your website? Or do you, I don't know if you coach anybody or you have coaches that work under you. Like how can people learn more about the carnivore diet? So they I wrote can do a book. <laughs> okay. That helps. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a book called the carnivore code. It's on Amazon and everywhere. It's a bestseller okay. on my website, which is heartandsoil.co.co. Mm -hmm. All of my podcasts, all of my videos are there. It's referenced under the learn tab and all of our desiccated organ supplements are there. You can just search by whatever topic you want. I've probably done a video or a podcast on it. I have my own podcast. Like I said, it's fundamental health. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of information there. My socials are all listed there. You can find me. Do you know who Dr. Berg is? Yeah. Dr. Berg has like a million subscribers or something mm -hmm. like that on YouTube. He is an avid and I used to get some, I used to learn a little bit from his videos, but he's like an avid uh, follower of like the kale kind of diet and all that. And I'm like, why, how are people gravitating to that? If that's not the wrong, if that's the wrong thing, why is, cause he's known as the nutrition doctor, right? But he's kind of giving the opposite advice that you're giving me. Yeah. Well, he's not an MD. First of all, Eric Berg is not an MD. I think he's a okay. uh, chiropractor to tell you the truth. Oh, um, I'm not okay. actually sure what Eric Berg's credentials are. We could check real quick. He's not an MD. Not yeah. that I should pull the, uh, yeah, the doctor really card. Pull, <laughs> what's that? Shouldn't pull the doctor card. I shouldn't pull the doctor card because yeah. I don't like it when people do appeals to authority, yeah. but, um, he's a chiropractor, so he's not an MD. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have a lot of chiropractor friends who are brilliant, yeah. but um, you know, what he is talking about is controversial because it's keto. And then yeah. he's talking about the, the greens, but that's what people are expecting. So it's easier for people to digest, but I would love sure. to debate him anytime. You want to set it up on your show, I'll debate Eric Berg. A lot yeah. of people I think are realizing that ketogenic diets can be valuable for humans, yeah. but that you don't need the greens. And in fact, getting rid of the greens and replacing them with carbohydrates or cycling ketosis is really going to be beneficial. I think that, you know, people can benefit by excluding processed foods. So this is sometimes talked about with plant-based diets. People say, well, how can a plant-based diet be good? This guy did a plant-based diet. He says he feels way better. Well, he probably feels better because he just got rid of processed food, yeah. right? doesn't yeah. mean the plant-based diet is ideal. doesn't mean a ketogenic diet is ideal. It just mm -hmm. means, hey, you probably replaced processed carbohydrates with animal meat and some greens. That's great. You're there, but it's not the highest level. In my opinion, there's a better way to do it. There's a more evolutionarily consistent way to do it. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll see, I don't know if Eric Berg's too popular for to, to come on and debate, but I'll try and get him on. Um, Let's do it. But yeah, I appreciate your time, Paul. Uh, thank you very much. And um, if you'll come on again, I'm sure we can have another uh, hour of education for people. I'd love to. If your followers have questions, they can send them to you. I'll come on and answer all the questions. Yeah. If people want to email me, you know, with, with supplement questions or supplement recommendations or how to construct a diet, they can do it. All the contact information is at hardensoil.co. Okay. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate Thanks, your brother. time. All right, man. Bye-bye.